Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. So tonight, I'm, I'm really pumped up about this message, and one of the reasons I'm excited is because we decided to just be real chill tonight. We're going to read a couple of uh, passages of Scripture that kind of seem long, uh, but they're the message version, and you know, if, if sometimes you're reading Scripture and you're like, oh my gosh, this is so long, and then you don't read it, well, when do you ever read it if you don't read it in church? Yeah. Uh, so like tonight, don't get thrown off by some of these longer Scriptures that we're reading. We're reading them for the purpose of understanding what the Bible has to say about our subject tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, so follow along with us, take notes. I ask you to please open up your phones and open up a notes program or grab something to write on. This is not something you want to just try to memorize. There's a lot of information here. Uh, tonight is for you uh, to have an opportunity and for us to have an opportunity to grow personally. And like I said, it's a very chill atmosphere. We're not going to be yelling at you. We're not going to be preaching and screaming real loud. We're going to be talking about uh, things that cause people's life to fall apart if it doesn't uh, work right and things that cause people to thrive and, uh, when it does. Yeah. And, and I believe there's some miracles that are going to happen here tonight, Amen. and God's going to change some people. Amen. So we're going to start in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 17 in the message version. version. It says this. Now getting down to the... This is Paul speaking to, to the Corinthians. He says, Now getting down to the questions you asked in your letter to me, first, is it a good thing to have sexual relations? Certainly, but only within a certain context. It's good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife, the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. Abstaining from sex is permissible for a period of time if you both agree to it. Praise the Lord, just for a short time. Uh, (laughs) If you agree to it, and it's for the purposes, and if, only if, it says, it's for the purposes of prayer and fasting, but only for such times. Then come back together again. Satan has an ingenious way of tempting us when we least expect it. I'm not understand commanding these periods of abstinence, only providing my best counsel if you should choose them. Sometimes, Paul says, sometimes I wish everyone were like me, a simpler life in many ways, Uh, single like me. So Paul is single, and he's just being honest. He's saying marriage is not for everyone. In my personal opinion, Paul is saying, I think it's easier to be single and to devote my life to God. He says, but celibacy is not for everyone any more than marriage is. God gives the gift of the single life to some and the gift of married life to others. I do, though, tell the unmarried and widows that singleness might well be the best thing for them as it has been for me. But if they can't manage their desires and emotions, they should by all means go ahead and get married. The difficulties of marriage are preferable by far to a sexually tortured life as a single. And if you're married... Stay married. Can someone say amen to that? Amen. This is the master's command, not mine. If a wife should leave her husband, she must either remain single or else come back and make things right with him. And a husband has no right to get rid of his wife. For the rest of you who are in mixed marriages, Christian, married to non-Christian, we have no explicit command from the master, who is Jesus. This is what you must do. If you are 
a man with a wife who is not a believer but who still wants to live with you, hold on to her. If you're a woman with a husband who is not a believer but he wants to live with you, hold on to him. The unbelieving husband shares to an extent in the holiness of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is likewise touched by the holiness of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be left out. As it is, they are also included in the spiritual purposes of God. On the other hand, if the unbelieving spouse walks out on you, you've got to let him or her go. You don't have to hold on desperately. God has called us to make the best of it as peacefully as we can. You never know, wife. The way you handle this might bring your husband not only back to you, but to God. You never know, husband. The way you handle this might bring your wife not only back to you, but God. And don't be wishing you were someplace else or with someone else. Where you are right now is God's place for you. Live and obey and love and believe right there. God, not your marital status, defines your life. Don't think I'm being harder on you than on the others. I give this same counsel in all the churches. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Amen. I mean, the Bible truly has the answer for every question we have in life. And next we're going to read Ephesians 5, 21 through 28. It says, Out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. Wives, understand and support your husband in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church. Not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ, as he exercises such leadership, leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. He's saying, if you're already married, Here's some really good advice on how you should just go ahead yeah. and make it happen. So yes. it's already a done deal. So we're going to read 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. The same goes for you wives. Be good wives to your husbands, responsive to their needs. When they need a Diet Mountain Dew, bring it to That's them. That's there. That's there. Oh, wait. That, right there. Just kidding. There are husbands who, indifferent as they are to any words about God, will be captivated by your life of holy beauty. What matters is not your outer appearance. Hello, somebody. The styling of your hair, the jewelry you wear, the cut of your clothes, but your inner disposition. Cultivate inner beauty, the gentle, gracious kind that God delights in. The holy women of old were beautiful before God that way. And were good, loyal wives to their husbands. Sarah, for instance, taking care of Abraham, would address him as my dear husband. You'll be true daughters of Sarah if you do the same, unanxious and unintimidated. The same goes for you husbands. Be good husbands to your wives. Honor them. Delight in them. As women, they lack some of your advantages. And, and what that actually means is, is, I think it even speaks to some inequality that existed in other cultures. Some women did not have the same rights as men did to even testify in court. A woman's 
uh, testimony wasn't even admissible. Or maybe it's even talking about the disparity physically. Men could be physically stronger than women in some ways. And what he's saying mm-hmm. is not talking about they're inferior. It's saying that as women, they possibly lack some of the advantages that you naturally have. But it says, but in the new life of God's grace, you're equals. Treat your wives then, wives then as equals so your prayers don't run aground. Tonight, our message is called Love and Basketball. Love and Basketball. Father, thank you so much for your presence and your goodness. Holy Spirit, we continue to invite you to just move in this place, fill our hearts. Thank you for this word that transforms us. And sometimes when we hear things, they're even difficult to hear. We pray, Lord, that our hearts would bend toward heaven uh, in, those, in those situations, that we would not push back against you, but, Lord, we would give in to the will of the Holy Spirit just as Jesus gave in to your will in the garden. He said, not my will, but your will be done. We ask that the word would do that to us every time we hear it. Amen. Help us deliver this in a way that honors you in Jesus' name. Yes. Amen. Amen. Have you ever played games with someone or a game with someone that didn't know the rules? Or understand the rules. I'm getting a loud amen from some of my fellow pastors on the front row. But in recent times, recent months, one of the longest game nights of our lives and our marriage. Justin's laughing from the back already because he knows this. I wasn't going to name any names, but if you want to take ownership, that's fine. Justin and Amanda, Maddie and Anthony. One of the longest game nights in history. Have you ever heard of the game Settlers of Catan? Or Catan. It's a weird. I mean, it's, it's kind of, a really I don't weird. Think too many people would have heard. Doesn't of that. matter the it's, rules. It's a cool game, but because like clearly it's we sort didn't know nerdy. the rules either. So this game that really should have only taken us about an hour. An hour and a half at most. We were on the three-hour mark, we were guys. On three hours. It went three hours. There were several very loving yet heated conversations that happened along the way. <laughs> I would say about every thirty minutes past the hour, we were just getting a little bit more anxious, saying, "Are you sure these this are the rules?" Like, like saying, "This cannot possibly be are the rules." Are you sure <laughs> this is how you win? Are you sure we can't build here? Are you sure? And they assured us based on. The rules they had learned from their other friends. Can I, anybody, can you relate? So the way that we settled the end of the game, I guess you could say, because in actuality, no one won. Oh, yeah. Isn't that fun it's to play a game sweet. where no one wins Weak, for yes. three hours? Yes. Hello. Is we called an expert at one o'clock in the morning (laughs) and woke this man up who lives in Michigan. (laughs) We were like, okay, bro, you are like the best person we know to go to for advice on how to actually play this game. In actuality, who was right all along? That's right. I'm the, just kidding. The pastor. Okay, I no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. That's not the point. The point isn't the who point is right. Is, the point is that we found exactly. out the right way to play the game. So, so true. Now we'll play it. And have more fun. Have fun. Yeah, actually have fun. That would be, yeah. (laughs) But see, like Monopoly, for instance, there's a lot of house rules to Monopoly. Did you know that in Monopoly, you don't get $400 for landing on go? Did you know that you do not get the free parking when you land on free parking? That's totally a house rule. Like, it's supposed to be that you just land on free parking. You just don't have to pay anyone. Did you also know in Monopoly that if you land on a space and you choose not to buy it, it has to go up for auction immediately. So it's an open auction. So in Monopoly, typically when people land on a space, yeah, they're like, I had no idea. They're, this is like more shocking to them than scriptures I read them. Like, they're more shocked at that than the opening of this reading half the Bible to them. Um, 
So, so like when you play with people that don't play by the rules, also that if, if, you, if you land on someone's hotel and, and you go out of money, you have to give them all of your property. Yes. A lot of people try to give all their property to the banker, uh, but that makes the game stretch out longer and longer and longer. So when you don't play by the rules correctly, you're not playing the game as it was meant to be played. So I have a basketball goal. Uh, that we have on the stage here, and I want to kind of show you guys a couple of games, and I want you to imagine, uh, uh-oh, I want you to imagine if we played the game with this basketball hoop here, and this basketball in this way, here we go. Game number two. So in basketball, okay, in basketball, so in addition to us playing these weird games with a basketball, yes. in basketball, you have some people who want to travel all the time. You ever played with someone like that? You have some people, don't point to people, Nelson. <laughs> you have some people that foul all the time, and you call a foul, and they won't let you call a foul on them. You have some people that d double dribble all the time. But those are not the rules of basketball. Mm -hmm. So if you do what we just did and play the games that we just played, you're playing with a basketball, but you are not playing by the rules of basketball. Mm -hmm. The official NBA rule book is 121 pages. To play the game of basketball correctly... You have to understand the rules of basketball. And what's happening in our world is we have people who are playing with marriage, but they're not playing by the rules of marriage. The Bible, you could clap for that because that was a pretty good, that's a pretty good statement. There's a lot of people playing with marriage. Yep. Actually, just say it again and then let them clap after you say it. Because I, I want you to say that one more because that's really good. <laughs> you just want to catch your breath. <laughs> <laughs> that's so mean. It's kind of true. I needed sort of, it, it's so sort of mean, I, he so. had to talk first. Like, tell so them about your childhood. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what's happening in our, in our world is we have a lot of people who are playing with marriage. But they are not playing by the rules of marriage. <laughs> And the Bible clearly defines what marriage is to us. We don't have to wonder. It's not our opinion. It's not something we've studied and learned because of 
great books, it's only because of the Bible. And that is the source and the foundation of every truth in our lives. So what is biblical marriage? That is a really important question. So yep. if we're, if we're going to play basketball correctly, we have to understand what it is. It's impossible to be good at something yep. and to succeed at it if you don't know what its parameters are. Yeah. If you don't even know what the definition of it is, if you can't explain the rules and how to play to someone that you don't even know what you're going for, you can't su- succeed and do well. Yep. So marriage is a covenant. It is a sacred oath between a man and a woman for a lifetime. It is a, for a lifetime. Yeah. It is a bond created by God that establishes partnership, intimacy, fruitfulness, and holiness for God's glory. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say that one more time, and you guys should probably go back and watch, the, watch this over again and take some notes on this because this is important stuff. Marriage is a covenant, a sacred oath between a man and a woman for a lifetime. It is a bond created by God that establishes partnership, intimacy, fruitfulness and holiness for God's glory. I'm going to read you some more scriptures. Remember, I told you we're going to chill tonight. Just kind of be in the word. Matthew 19, 3 through 6, this is Jesus talking. It says, one day the Pharisees were badgering him. Is it legal for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? He answered, haven't you read in your Bible that the creator originally made man and woman for each other, male and female? And because of this, a man leaves his father and mother and is firmly bonded to his wife, becoming one flesh. No longer two bodies, but one. Because God created this organic union of the two sexes, no one should desecrate his art by cutting them apart. Ephesians 5, 22 through 24, as we read, says, Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. 1 Peter 3, it says that, husbands, you are to treat them as equals so your prayer doesn't run aground. Mutual and uh, mutual honor and respect for one another. Yeah. Paul said, as I said earlier, marriage is not for everyone. That's, that's really a difficult thing for us to process in a culture that worships romanticism. Our culture worships and elevates romanticism to the highest level. As a matter of fact, it teaches everyone that emotional love is the only reason for marriage. But we find biblically that there are many other reasons for marriage. Mm -hmm. I read just a second ago to you when I read the definition, partnership, intimacy, fruitfulness, and holiness. These are all things, reasons people can get married. So... Our society tells us if you're not madly in love, crazy, hot, sexy, attracted to this person, you just can't stop thinking about them, that that's not your soulmate. Right. See, because our society absolutely worships these kind of romantic relationships. But that is really not what Paul is saying. He's saying here, mm-hmm. some people might not be even called to a relationship at all. He's saying, I think it is preferable for many people that might be not know what they're supposed to do, to just remain single. And I, I know you're not going to get a lot of amens from that, uh, but the, the, what Jesus comments on that in Matthew 19, and he says, there are eunuchs. Now, I've looked in multiple different versions for a more modern word, but every version had the... the, the, the basically, it's a sexless yeah. person who, for either reasons by birth, or something that someone had done to them. Sometimes people, kings, would have eunuchs that worked for them, and they would remove their, their genitals so that they could not sleep with their wives if it was a guy. 
And so it would be like this neutral sexed person that did not choose to have this done. It was something that was done to them. So that's a person that is sexless, that really doesn't have romantic relationships and can't have sex. And Jesus talks about them in Matthew 19. He says, there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. So he's referring to people who sexually from birth are either there's something going on there where they're neutral, neither male nor female. He says there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. Then there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. I don't have that anointing to make myself a eunuch. I will tell you that right now. Uh, but Paul is saying there are some people who are so dedicated to God and possibly what he's saying is that maybe it's not even physically that they made themselves eunuchs, but in essence what they've done is they have refrained from any kind of sexual relationship in order to dedicate their lives right. to God. Right. When I see monks and I see people that are, 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 that are nuns that sort of devote their whole life to God, before you go judging people that do that, there's something incredible about someone that is able to have that kind of weight and anointing on their life. Yeah. I'm, I'm fascinated when I meet... Uh, people that are so devoted to God that that is their, their whole life. So what Paul is saying is marriage is also sacred. So Paul is almost tempted, and many theologians in the Bible, or that, since the Bible, have almost been tempted to say that celibacy and singleness is this high calling, uh, and marriage, people that can't control their, their lust and they can't control their sex, they have to get married. It was thought for many years that mm -hmm. you were a lower class of a Christian if you were married. That in essence, that you know, singleness and celibacy was up here. But what Paul is saying is, no, that's not true. He's saying that celibacy is a life that is devoted to God. A gift. It's a mm -hmm. gift and a life that is devoted to God. And also marriage is a gift. It's yep. a different kind of life where you devote your life to God with someone. And mm -hmm. you spend your time with someone. It's a union and an oath unto God for life. And marriage forces you, please listen to me. Marriage forces you to deal with character issues that you would never have to deal with as a single person. If you want to find out how selfish you actually are, yeah. <laughs> do you want to finish this for me? Get married. Yeah, so true. If you want to find out how selfish you really are, get married. I will never forget when I first got married. I was, babe, I'm so sorry for the way I used to act when, I, when we first got married. I, I just came into our relationship with all of these do's and don'ts. I had been single till I was almost 30. Mm -hmm. I'd lived a long time just doing whatever I wanted to do. I came in with this list of, okay, I watch football on Saturdays. I watch football till, uh, don't, don't ever ask me Sundays to do something on Sunday. And on Monday night, there's Monday night football. There's Thursday night football. I mean, like, there's all this stuff that she can't do. And what's crazy about her is she loves Jesus so much and she loves me so much is she never infringed upon any of those things. And what I realized through her selflessness is I realized what a jerk that I was. And what I started doing is intentionally saying, you know what, there, you know, let's go to Disney on Saturday. And she would go, well, are you serious? FSU plays Maryland on Saturday at 12 o'clock. I already looked. <laughs> and and I, I'd be like... Yeah, but you know what? I got a DVR, and I can record it, and I want to hang out with you. And she's like, oh, my God. And, boy, it would be a hot night that night. I'll tell you something right now. That's, I learned something quick about marriage, that she was, already, she was already giving towards me, and she was able, the Lord was able to teach me something about my insufficiencies and my character issues yeah. through someone loving me so pure. And that's one of the things that you will realize that as in marriage, 
If you want to find out your character issues, that's why Paul says being single is much simpler. You just, you know, if you want to stay up late playing video games, go for it. You want to binge watch every season of 24, go for it. You want, you want to, you know, leave towels laying on the floor, go for it. But it ain't going to work in marriage, I'll tell you that right now. You're going to find out some things. Okay? That's funny. Um, and then also, so marriage, I, I think this is something that's very, if not most commonly misunderstood about what a biblical marriage is, is that a biblical marriage has way more to do with holiness than it does happiness. Whoa, that's so good. A biblical marriage has the opportunity, one of its main functions, main reasons that God brought a man and a woman together is so that they could demonstrate to other people and represent what the body of Christ is to Jesus, the bridegroom to the groom. Mm. So we, our, our culture really misconstrues this. He said, everyone's talking about like these, you know, romantic relationships, but also there's another idea out there. Probably one of the worst lines ever in the history of cinema is in Jerry Maguire. The idea that when he looks at Renee Zellweger and he says, you complete me. That's right. A marriage does not make you a whole no. person. A marriage is not intended to make you happy. In fact, within your marriage, you can find happiness once you find holiness. Mm. But it doesn't work the other way around. Mm. You can't find happiness and then eventually end your way at holiness. Yeah. So the idea is painted of what a relationship is supposed to feel like and be like. It's supposed to be this fairy tale all of the time. I mean, Disney clearly paints that picture. Can I get a witness? I mean, I would like to know, though, that the movies themselves actually end in the couples falling in love or getting married, but I'd like an update on Ariel and Eric. Yeah. That's Anybody right. else? Yeah. Like, I want to know if like they Like a year made it. after. Yeah, like through the hard times, right. and they were still able to have the gritty stuff that it takes to during make a, mar a marriage right. work. Exactly. Um, during Target trips. Yeah, Target trips. I mean, uh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you were so sweet, the stuff that you said, but I mean, trust me, I'm going to get to my issues in a second. But it's this idea. So you know what happens is that these fairy tales give us the idea that a marriage is all about the chemistry because you find the one and there's chemistry and there's feelings and you fall in love and there's all of these butterflies. But the issue is butterflies fly away, first mm, of all. Yeah. And when the chemistry is not there, where's your foundation? Yeah. Where, what will you then cling to? Because if you think that the reason that you got into the marriage to begin with was so that you would be happy or fulfilled or there was chemistry, when the chemistry is gone, then you, not you, we, can easily mistake the lack of chemistry for a sign that it's not mm. the right guy, the right girl, mm. a sign to get out. But the Bible clearly lets us know that there is a holiness that's to be established in our own individual lives. We live our lives unto God even as married people. Mm -hmm. In fact, we will not stand before the Lord together hand in hand saying, didn't we do a good job? We stand before God holding uh, with everything we have done and that we are accountable for. And so it's more about holiness and less about 
happiness. Can I get an amen? So good. So the principles of the Ten Commandments, we talked about the rules. You can't be successful at basketball if you don't know the rules. And if people are playing with marriage, but they're not playing the rules by the rules of marriage, what are the rules of marriage? But we talked, we've been talking for like three days about, I mean for weeks, but specifically for three days about all these subjects. And we decided that we wanted to use the Ten Commandments as a guideline for the principles. So our devotion to God, we worship God and God alone, and we're not intimating that you should worship your spouse. But what we're doing is we're taking the principles of the Ten Commandments, Mm -hmm. and we're going to apply them to our relationships. So if you do have your notes, please write these down. Uh, Commandment number one of the Ten Commandments said, you shall have no other gods before me. The principle of this is exclusivity. So the point that God is trying to make is that there should only be one. I am your only God, don't have anyone else before me. And in a relationship, in a marriage relationship, exclusivity is paramount. How appropriate it is to focus on exclusivity. Henry Ford, on his golden wedding anniversary, someone said, what's the secret of your success in marriage? And he said, the secret of my success in marriage is the same secret I have in business. I stick to the same model. In, in traditional wedding vows, the man and woman pledge their devotion until death parts them. I read a theologian that said, be honest when you're making your vows. If it's until boredom do we part, or until adultery do we part, then say it, but don't lie and say until death do we part if you're going to bounce when something happens in your life. He didn't say it that cool, but he did say something like that. Uh, This is for life. There's no competition for her. There's no competition for her. My wife has no competition. I'm not shopping for a new model. She is my model. She is my mom. The second commandment of marriage, don't love a substitute. So Exodus 24 through 6, the second commandment of the Ten Commandments says, don't make for yourself a carved image. So what's, what's really important for us is that we don't look for emotional or sexual fulfillment in some other relationship or some other thing in our life. God is our primary fulfillment as an individual, but your spouse is your primary earthly relationship. Yep. There can be all kinds of things that become substitutes in our life that stands in the place that God has placed our spouse in. That our, our spouse is supposed to be that person yep. that pours into our life and fulfills us on a, on a personal level in relationships. So many times when people get into pornography, pornography becomes a substitute for the intimacy you're supposed to be experiencing right. with your spouse. And when a man or woman watches pornography, it's loving a substitute. Right. You're directing your passion and your sexuality toward a bunch of images. And can I also mention that those images many times are trafficked women who have no choice. So you're not only uh, taking part of something that that is evil and not drawing you towards your wife, but you're actually contributing to human trafficking and people that have no choice. It's a very corrupt industry that destroys lives in every possible way. So even things like social media, sometimes we put more emphasis and time and we get more of an emotional uh, connection from getting a like on Instagram or Facebook than we do when our spouse gives us a compliment. That's good. There's a problem there. We can't have any kind of substitute for so our good. spouse. So the third commandment of marriage is speak well of your mate. That's based on the commandment from Exodus 20 verse 7. It says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Hmm. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Many misunderstand the term in vain. It means empty, 
meaningless, insincere, and not showing due respect. It doesn't say as long as they talk to you the way you want to be talked mm. to. It actually just says it's your responsibility as an individual to treat your spouse with kindness and speak kindly to them. And I want to read another verse. Um, but this is a thought that I was thinking. I haven't, I would like to maybe even make this a separate teaching at some time, but I feel like there's really some depth to this. Um, I was praying the other day and I really felt like the Holy Spirit just kind of showed me a snapshot thinking of us playing basketball. My husband and I are very competitive. I've actually had to learn because we've been together long enough. Someone has to just yield. Yeah, exactly. So, and it's okay. And so I, I, and then once the kids came into the picture, I was just like, it's just not worth it. So not, I don't let him win. Do not get me wrong. I'm just saying I don't get as into it and fiery and heated. But the idea is that I really do feel like there are couples, whether it is spoken or whether it is unspoken, that are actually very competitive with one another. Let me give you an example. A lot of times in conversation, it sounds like you don't know how many hours I worked this week. Well, oh yeah, you don't know how many diapers I changed this week. Or all you do is with your free time is this, this, and this. Well, oh yeah, all you do with your free time. So it becomes this, not just boxing match, but it becomes a comparison game. And it actually becomes very competitive. And what ends up happening is the tone in which you end up speaking to each other actually sounds like you are talking to an opponent. Mm. not your teammate. Yeah. It ends up sounding like very resentful. Uh, it, it might even be just some of the thought processes you allow your mind to think when you're at home with your kids during the day and it seems like your husband gets all of this awesome interaction. You're stuck at home. All you wish is for some human connection. He walks in the door and he walks straight to his room to take his shoes off, put his briefcase down, do his thing, and you just want a moment. But... There's beauty in letting him have the moment, it, not taking it personal, and not playing the comparison game. Doesn't he realize I need his help now? Doesn't he realize? Trust me, I've been there. When I was a young mom, that was very much my role. I had the opportunity to stay home because I wanted to with Mia when she was young, but it didn't make... It, 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 and I could, I could have done whatever I wanted, but he allowed me to stay home and just get that time with her. But it did create some type of resentment in me, sometimes thinking he gets all the fun, I get the responsibilities. Anybody identify with me? Or am I touching a very sensitive subject? Okay. So what we have to make sure that we do is that we do not play the comparison game with our spouse because you're on the same team with the same goal. You're both trying to, with your efforts, push the vision of your family forward. Push the opportunities that your kids have forward. Love them with everything that you have in a peaceful environment together. And it is not a competition. I had a verse I wanted to read, but I'll just give you the reference for time's sake. Galatians 6, 4. In Philippians 2, 3, and 4, and I just think that you will just really get a lot out of that. So speak kindly to your spouse. I have the next one. The fourth commandment of marriage is spend exclusive time together. 
based on the fourth commandment in Exodus. So it's a commandment even that God required that remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Sabbath means an intermission. intermission. It means to put down your work and rest, to take a break. So this is twofold in a marriage, that there should be set aside time. I mean, every marriage conference you go to, what are they going to say? Have a date night. But it's because there's power in it. And it, I mean, last night we had a date night, but we had it in our, that sounds inappropriate. I was going to say had it in our room, but. We we watched a movie (laughs) and and ordered takeout. It was basically. Yeah, exactly. And actually that was all. Like, like that's all we did. Just chill. We don't have to tell them that. Well, it's true. That's all that happened. That was all that happened. We were getting ready to preach the next night. Tonight is the night for the other thing. I'm going to tell you that right now. (laughs) Me and Jude are over there. Yeah, I know. They don't have to know about that. Anyway, so we just, the point was that you can make it a priority. We were both exhausted. We had a full day of meetings. We had a full day of just, you know, just too much talking. And it just sounded nice. We We made it a priority. So much was going on. We didn't call off the date day. Exactly. And it would have been easier to just say, say never mind to the babysitter. But we just made it happen. And then the second thing is about this. Um, having exclusive time together, it is essential as a family to attend church together. It really is. I mean, if we're wanting to get to the heart of what the breakdown is in families, the breakdown in marriages, absolutely 100%, I'm a believer that we do not put enough emphasis on Sundays and Wednesday nights as a church, uh, as a family to attend church. So that's good. Uh, fifth commandment, a marriage, honor your spouse by showing how, much, how grateful you are. Mm-hmm. So Exodus 20, 20, the fifth commandment says, honor your father and mother. We have to learn how to honor our spouse. Uh, a lot of people live in dishonor. Yeah. Now I'll tell you this, respect is passive. So respect is something that you have from a distance. You might see someone, you go, man, I really respect that person. Respect is passive while honor is active. You show honor. It's not enough to just respect your spouse. You have to honor them and actively honor them. Respect is internal while honor is external. It's impossible to keep loving what you've lost respect for. It's impossible to keep loving what you've lost respect for. And if you have lost respect, you have to pray that the Holy Spirit will allow you on a spiritual level to respect and honor your spouse. Mark 6, 4 says, only in his hometown among his relatives and in his own house is a prophet without honor. Sometimes we honor the least, the things that are the most valuable to us. Mm -hmm. The people that are actually the most valuable, we don't give them any honor, and we give strangers more honor than we give the people that are the very closest to us. Uh, You yell at your wife, and then you help a stranger. Uh, There's something wrong with that. Honor is value, worth, or weight. That's what it means. To honor something is to value it. And to the, the heart of biblical honor is seeing the same value in people that God sees. Yep. So God loves my wife so much, and she is the apple of his eye. She is so special to him. I need to see the value in her. That's why the Bible tells me to love my wife as Jesus loved the church. Yeah. What did Jesus do for the church? He gave everything he had for the church. Yes. If I'm going to be a good husband, I have to learn how to give everything I have for this woman. It is only through giving everything I have, because we're in a partnership. We decided 15 years ago that we were going to live the rest of our lives together, that we were going to grow old together. No matter what happens, when she f- 
fails. When I fail, we're going to do it together. We will fail forward. There'll be times that we'll fall down, but we will get back up in Jesus' name. We're going to be companions to one another. When she's down, I lift her up. When I'm down, she lifts me up. We made a decision a long time ago. We're going to do this together. So I have to learn how to honor her and respect her the way God respects her. The level of honor you give is determined by, by the amount of value you perceive. Right. The level of honor you give is determined by the amount of value perceived. That's why you should always recognize the way people treat those who can't benefit them. Always pay close attention to the way someone treats a person that can't benefit them in some way. How do you treat the waiters? How do you treat the valet guy? How do you treat the homeless guy? I'm going to tell you this right now. This this is going to sound pretty crazy, but think of the person you treat the worst... And that's your relationship with the Holy Spirit. Think of the person that you treat the worst, and that's your relationship with the Holy Spirit. So you only will honor based on the value that you perceive. So if you're talking down to somebody, and you're constantly dishonoring them with the things that you say and what you're showing in your life, what you're saying to me is, you're worth nothing to me. Mm -hmm. So we have to learn how to do what the Bible says. It says, honor your father and mother. Why? Because when you are a child... Your father and your mother are the primary relationship in your life. But when you get married, then your spouse is the primary relationship. And it's important that you learn how to honor them. So good. Um, I love this point, too. Honor is a decision, a language, and a lifestyle. So good. The sixth commandment of marriage is don't destroy your spouse, but learn to be gentle. (laughs) It's based on the sixth commandment that God gave to Israel in Exodus You shall not murder. Don't kill your wife. Don't do it. (laughs) Um, But we want to just kind of hone in on the idea of anger and judgment within a marriage. And um, Proverbs 25, 28 says, Oh, Matthew 5. He said, You have heard that it was said of those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother just angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. So it's saying it's, yes, understand that the judgment comes on those who murder, but they're going to take it up a notch. And the requirement for us is more extreme. And that if you even are angry with somebody, that that's the standard. That's, it's the same exact thing. And in a marriage, I want to read this verse. Proverbs 25, 28 says, Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. You know, Jesus had to answer a question that um, these guys were trying to catch him in um, contradicting himself. And they said, Hey, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And he was quick to answer. And he said, Love your God with all your heart, soul and mind and they didn't ask him what the second one was but he went ahead and offered it anyway he's like since we're on the subject let me tell you what the second one is and it's and it is in love your neighbor as what yourself yourself so i just want to take this idea that you might be angry with your spouse you might not like your spouse right now But if you paused for a second and you really let the Holy Spirit speak to you, it might in fact be the case that you're angry with yourself or you're disappointed with 
yourself or you currently don't like yourself. Maybe you have never liked yourself. See, in giving that answer, love your neighbor as yourself, listen, love your neighbor, he actually gives us the answer and the solution and the how we love people. We love people by loving ourselves. It's not pride. It's not that type of love. It's understanding, getting a full revelation of the love that your heavenly father has for you as an individual and then actually seeing that in yourself. So often, if we're talking about our past and we're talking about the concessions we made, most, well, actually, let me start. Let let me be honest. All of our dating relationship was very hindered because I could not find within the capacity to love myself. I had gone through abuse. I had gone through a really difficult childhood. I had, I loved Jesus, but I didn't love myself. I didn't know that was the issue. But as I started to mature, which we should be maturing in our relationship with God, but as I began to get the revelation of how much God loved me, I didn't have to perform for him. I didn't have to get everything right. Mm -hmm. I would still make mistakes, but he loves me. And you know what? I have grace for myself. I appreciate the things that God's called me to be. I'm a work in progress, but I have the ability. You cannot give something you don't have. So if you do not have love for yourself, you can't give it to your spouse. You can't give it to other people. You might be lashing out in anger to your children, but in reality, you're frustrated about some disappointment in your life. So I encourage you that you just pause for a second, maybe now, maybe in your quiet time with God, and that you ask the Holy Spirit, say, is that the issue, God? Am I really frustrated with myself? Am I, am I disappointed about something? Is there some area that I feel like I've messed up so great that you don't forgive me so I'm not forgiving myself? And allow the Holy Spirit to heal you. Allow God's love to come in and complete you and love you just the way you are. And you're, I, I assure you, you're going to be able to respond different. You're going to be able to talk different. You're going to have patience you didn't know you even had the capacity for. You're going to have joy that the Bible tells us is our strength. All things I lacked early on in our marriage. It was just so difficult. Not only do you not have the ability to love other people, you don't have the ability to accept the love they're trying to give to you. Mm. There are all those walls and those barriers. Those are gone in our marriage. And it's what helps us have a successful biblical marriage. I hope that blessed you. The seventh uh, commandment is do not commit adultery. How does that apply to your marriage? Don't do it. (laughs) No one accidentally uh, commits adultery. So true. You don't go, oh, wow, I'm sorry, I slept with you. (laughs) That doesn't happen. Uh, So don't don't do it. It's not even possible to even have a conversation about a healthy marriage. Uh, You're talking about, oh, well, we have an arrangement. No, what you have is a freaky game uh, that you have invented. That you're, you're using marriage for something that it's not meant so for. True. You're calling marriage something that it not, it's not. That it's no. not. It's, it's one man, one woman for life. And it's a committed relationship. It's one flesh. Yep. So don't do it. Eight, I just kind of yeah. felt in my spirit that yeah. maybe there are some people here tonight that need to 
the crank said it last week, and I just feel like confirmation. Maybe you need to even delete some apps and maybe um, unfriend and, and block yeah. some people. And I Delete also, some names out of your phone. Literally, I was just, yep. I, I just felt that. Yeah. So. There's wisdom. There's wisdom mm-hmm. in that. Anything that causes you temptation yep. that could cause you it's to go right. down a road that you shouldn't go to. You say, well, I'm not deleting a whole app just because of what, why? Why wouldn't we'll you delete something that would save you from yes. failing down the road? Yes. Uh, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's the, the Bible says it's better to cut out your eye and be blind than yep. to look in something that's going to bring you spiritual blindness. Yes. So get things out of your life that so do good. not belong. Eighth commandment uh, is do not steal. So how does that apply to marriage? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it like this. Stealing is an issue of integrity. Yep. When people steal, they have an integrity problem. Integrity is who you are when no one is watching. Mm -hmm. It is very important for you to have integrity because I'll tell you something. You'll do things and your spouse is watching you. You don't know they're watching you. So so if you don't know you're being watched, it's very important the way you behave. Whether, you know, you uh, write a certain thing that is, you know, is not exactly how it happened or... Or you tell a story to your spouse about something that happened and you add something to the end of it. Integrity is absolutely paramount. And I feel like it goes hand in hand with the very... Well, actually, I'll go to the, the ninth one. Uh, the eighth and ninth one are similar because I think integrity leads into the ninth one which says you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And that's truthfulness. And I believe that integrity spills over into the area of truthfulness. Yeah. And Jesus said, you know, we had something we said to each other early. I can handle anything. As long as it's the truth. Yep. And we Let's, tell our kids that as well. We tell our kids that. That you don't have to worry about hiding stuff from us. We as a, 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 as, as a mom and dad can handle anything that you tell us as long as the, is, is the truth. We can't handle non-truth. Yeah. We can't deal with non-truth. But if you tell us what's true, we'll figure out a way and God will figure out a way to bring healing yes. into our lives. Yep. So truthfulness, your, your spouse needs to have the confidence that you have integrity. Yeah. And when they have confidence that you have integrity, that is a perfect place to grow such a partnership and a bond yeah, that nothing true. can break. Lies destroy relationships. So true. Can I just tell you something? Embrace the boringness of life if you have to, but don't be a liar. Don't be a liar. Don't yeah. make stuff up. Don't tell, don't tell, don't, you know, say, oh, you know, I was on the way over here. You know, maybe you saw a fender bender. Don't say, oh, on the way over here, I can't believe it. I saw a head-on collision. They had the ambulance, and I saw a guy. His head got chopped <laughs> off. Pray for him. He might need some help in Jesus' name. It didn't happen. You're lying. Uh, don't lie about... Go ahead. No, I was going to give an example, too, of, you know, if you spent $50, say, I spent $50. Right. Not I had a coupon and then I, and then like there are bags that end up, you know, like there are bags that are in the garage still and they will slowly find their way in. I don't know this from experience. I'm just saying I've done my research guys. Come on. No, actually, I mean, that was an issue in our marriage early on is I just, you know, I mean, this is very vulnerable, but I spent more than I was allowed or a lot. Yeah, that's not a controlling. God. He's not. No. We yes. had a an agreement as we, we they came to know a mutual. What I meant. They don't know what you meant because <laughs> you just said allowed. You make me sound like Bianca. A did you old, know what I meant? You know, like what a I two thousand okay. year old tyrant. Budgetarily. We had. It was budgeted. 
You know, all the wives knew what I meant. They knew what I meant. Because you don't tell us what we're allowed to spend. No, I'm just kidding. We're trying to teach these people on communication. That's amazing. Okay. No, but I, I would, I would, you know, fib, and I would think it's just a small thing, but those small things add up, and then you end up having to tell the truth anyway. I just, you know, and, and then it creates, like he said, a, a lack of confidence in one of one another. And so I tell him everything, and it's awesome to have a shared account. Like I like what the crank said. It's not he money and she money. It's shared money. It's it's we a, had separate accounts. We, we were married, and when it was we first a huge. It was a huge problem. It was. We decided to be. Uh, vulnerable and accountable kind of to one another and, and it works and we What's make it work. One? and the last one is the 10th commandment of marriage be content with what you have exodus twenty seventeen says you shall not covet your neighbor's house you shall not covet your neighbor's wife nor his male servant nor his female servant nor his ox nor his donkey nor anything that is your neighbor's do not compare your spouse to someone else's spouse can i get an amen And I just want to make sure you understand this clearly, that you be content with what you have. You did not marry the wrong person. If you have ever asked yourself that question, just put it to rest now. You did not marry the wrong person. God can redeem anything. Yep. And the moment you said, I do, they became the right person. And God will take care of it. You put these principles into practice. You listen to the Holy Spirit. You make it about holiness, not your happiness. You serve one another and you care about one another. And you're going to see your marriages succeed. So we want to take these principles. The Ten Commandments are toward God. They're ways to worship God. As I said, these are not ways to worship your spouse. These are the principles of the Ten Commandments that can help us understand the value that we can have in our spouse. Don't play, don't play with marriage. Don't play with marriage. Play by the rules of marriage that God created. He's the one that invented it in the first place. It's only if you play by the rules that you'll have a chance to win and thrive and succeed. God doesn't want you just to survive. He wants you to thrive. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.